Luke chapter 7. That's a word of prayer, and then we'll begin to look at our text and our situation tonight. Father, we thank you for this evening, and Lord, we ask you now to bless us, Lord, as we look to your word. And, oh, Lord, I'm sure that you have something for each one of us from the passage tonight. Lord, may we be open to receiving it, and, Lord, may we let it touch our hearts. And, oh, Lord, may we be changed because we've looked into your word. Lord, may we never get to the place where we're hardened to the word and we miss it. But, Lord, may your blessing uh, be upon us as we look to it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we're going to look at three different characters, and we're looking at them in the context of Luke chapter 7. We'll look at the Pharisee, we're going to look at the Lord Jesus, and we're going to look at the woman who was a sinner. Right? We're going to look at those three characters and see them connected. But we want to catch the context here in Luke chapter 7. Uh, lots of things are happening in Luke chapter 7. In, in Luke seven eleven, the widow's son is raised. Jesus meets a woman uh, coming out. She's going to bury her son. And he touches the beer and he says, arise. And, you know, he was dead. Uh, she was mourning him. And all of a sudden, uh, he's arising. He's on his way home. Uh, exciting. John sends and asks a question, uh, you know, are, are thou he that should come, asking if he's the Messiah? And he, he, he says all that's happening and tells them to go back and tell John all that's happening. Right? Now, in verse 29, I want you to pick it up here, because this is part of the context of what we're looking at. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him, right? So <clears throat> what's happening in Jesus' ministry is there's a turning in his ministry, and there's a, there's a, there's a hardening towards him and a rejection of him. And the Pharisees uh, are beginning to reject him. You know, they've been kind of sort of giving him a hearing, as long as he didn't offend them too much. But the offense is getting too much now, so they're beginning to switch him off. And there comes a point where there's a definite hardening. There's a point of no return uh, in his ministry. And his ministry changes effectively uh, because, you know, he's speaking to them uh, and he increases the pressure and the heat of it, but they're not listening. And he knows they're not listening anymore, right? Verse 31, he says this, And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are likened to children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned to you, and ye, and ye have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, He hath the devil. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her children. Now what he's doing is he's pointing out their unbelief and their choice of unbelief. Jesus is not coming to the party. He's, he's not, they're, they're, they're like children. You know, we played the music and you didn't dance. You know, um, uh, we mourn to you and you haven't wept. You're, you, you're not playing your part in this thing. And Jesus is saying, I never intended playing my part. It's not about me playing my part. It's not about me coming in and getting with your program. It's about me coming in and showing you what the real program is. But uh, they're, not, they're not coming to his party is the problem. And he points out to them, he says, you, you complained about John the Baptist. Uh, he said he had the devil because he, uh, he was fasting and praying in the wilderness. Uh, I eat and I drink, but you say I'm a gluttonous man and a wine bibber. You know, the reality is you choose not to believe. Your choice is not to believe. It's your own problem, your own fault. And he's pointing it out to them, right? Okay, so that's the context of what we're looking at tonight, right? And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Now, in the context of what we've just read, it's kind of strange that this guy would ask him for dinner. Right? But Simon is, is a Pharisee, 
But, you know, he's not one of the better ones, I suppose, as far as their, their description of a Pharisee would be, in the sense that he's not the hard and fast Pharisee. He's kind of the liberal-minded Pharisee. Look, I'll have him over for dinner. I'll chat with him. He's interesting. You know, everybody's interested in this guy. You know, it'll be, it'll be notable that I've had him over to my house. And he's quite shallow. Uh, he, he wants to hear. But we're also going to see that he's very self-righteous. He's also very self-righteous. He really thinks he's the bomb. He's really got it all down. He's a good guy. So we invite Jesus over for dinner. And behold, a woman in that city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. Now, just to to clear up a couple of misconceptions that we have, right? Uh, It says she was a sinner. Now, that's all it says about her. It doesn't say what her sin was. The assumption is she's a woman of the streets. uh, She's a harlot. But it doesn't say that. This is not Mary Magdalene. There's no reason to tie the two characters together, although they are tied together in kind of Christian folklore. There's no, but she's she's a sinner, right? And she's a sinner that everybody knows is a sinner. That's why it's kind of assumed that she was a harlot because everybody knew uh, what she was. But she's a sinner. So, but she comes. And she's, uh, as Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house and brought an alabaster box of ointment. Now, just, to, just to, sh- to kind of put you in the picture here, they were probably sitting in the courtyard and they would have been reclining in the courtyard all around uh, at this table that, that, that Simon had set for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and um, so she comes in, you know, it, it, it was kind of, okay, people passing by would come in, say hello when you're having the meal. It was just, it wasn't this private affair like we imagine. It's not somebody barging into your living room or your dining room while you're having a meal. It's a much more public thing in that sense. And this woman, when she hears that Jesus is there, she comes into him. Now, we, we don't know what's gone before for her. We, we're not able to connect up the dots. Right? We, we don't know where she's heard of Jesus, why she's heard of Jesus, or, or what's actually connected for her. But by the time she hears Jesus is around, she's coming to see him. Now, it might be that she watched him raising uh, the um, widow's son. She might have seen that happen. She, for, for, you know, it might have been that. Uh, we, we really don't know. It might have been that she actually heard him preach and teach. It might have been any number of things, but somehow their paths have crossed. She's heard about him. And she's not coming, interestingly, to hear. She's coming under deep conviction of soul. She wants this Savior. Now, between her and Simon, there's that much similarity. Simon wants Jesus in his house for dinner. This woman wants to be in the presence of Jesus too. But that's about as far as the similarity goes. There's a completely different take on this thing for both of them, right? Um, So she brings an alabaster box of ointment. Now, an alabaster box of ointment was hugely expensive. We don't know how much, but it would have been expensive. It would have been an expensive uh, item, this ointment that was in the box. Probably this was the product of her life of sin. But it was valuable to her, very valuable to her. So she's coming to Jesus with her best. She's coming to Jesus with the most expensive. This is not, by the way, this is not, it's going to happen again later on. This is not uh, Mary doing it. This is somebody else doing it at this point, right? Um, And stood at the feet behind them, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears 
and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he said within himself, he, he, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. Now, by the way, in verse 40, Jesus is answering to Simon's thinking. That's scary, isn't it? You think something? And the guest at the dinner table answers your thought. Right? <clears throat> That's what he's doing. You see, Simon, Simon really has it all wrong. He, he doesn't understand this Jesus at all. Right? He says, <clears throat> this man, if he were a prophet, would have known. Well, not only did he know, but he knew Simon was thinking that thought. Jesus, Jesus did, Simon didn't understand Jesus. He didn't really get Jesus at all. He's having him in for dinner because it's kind of interesting. It's kind of fun. It's a, you know, <clears throat> fun to have somebody come in for dinner. But, <clears throat> but you know, he's, he's not understanding Jesus. He's not getting Jesus at all. He doesn't know what's going on at all. <clears throat> he's having him in. He's, he, he doesn't understand uh, that Jesus would know. Uh, <clears throat> now, Simon also thinks he knows the, the, the woman. Uh, <clears throat> He would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Well, he knew her reputation. He didn't know her more than likely, but he knew her by reputation, and she was a sinner. She was a woman of the street. She was whatever it was that she was, but she was a sinner, and he knew him. And so here's, Simon, here's what Simon's doing. Now, we're going to see in a minute that he's actually wrong about her. Right? He's right, but he's wrong. I'll show you how he's wrong in a second. But here's, here's what Simon does. Simon has these two people pegged. Jesus, if he knew anything, wouldn't let your woman do that to him. Right? <clears throat> your woman, she's a sinner. And he's got the whole thing wrong back to front. Now, here's what's interesting. Simon is very able and well, well able to wrongly discern the woman and Jesus. But you know who he misses completely in the picture? Simon. He misses Simon completely. Now, you know what? It's not just Simon. We're prone to doing that. We're prone to missing ourselves in the picture. We're prone to being able to judge the other people in the situation. And the truth is that, like Simon, we don't know. He's judging Jesus. Whoa, Simon. That's pretty heady. Simon's going to judge Jesus. He's going to say, listen, he's not much of a prophet if he doesn't know what your woman is like. <clears throat> and uh, he's judging the woman. And he really can't judge either of those. But you know, he could judge himself if he wanted to. But he doesn't want to. And he thinks he has x-ray vision into other people. But the problem for him is he can't see himself. He can't see himself at all. Um, <clears throat> look at Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, ye shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? 
Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Now, Jesus using this story here, he talks about, you know, a mote, which is a small, tiny speck, and he talks about a beam, and a beam is a beam. It's a big hunk of wood. Why does he talk about the hunk of wood being in your own eye and the speck uh, being in the other person's eye? You see, the one that you need to see and can see is you. But the one that it's easier to see is the other person. But when you can't see yourself, it distorts your view of everybody else. Because what happens is, we tend to be proud of ourselves and down on others. We tend to look at ourselves and think, listen, we've got it together, and we look down on other people. Very easy for us to do. Self-righteousness is a huge problem for us. And our self-righteousness has no bearing often on righteousness. You see, Simon is here, and Simon is full of self-righteousness. He's the good guy. He's the guy who's in the know about your woman, and Jesus is not, and your woman is a sinner. And, and listen, he's the one that's able to tear everything apart, but he can't see what's going on at all. And here's the truth. He's going to leave, or Jesus is going to leave the dinner that day, and Simon's going to be the one lacking, but he won't know. Simon won't know. Simon won't understand. You see, Jesus came to seek and to save sinners. And he can do anything for a sinner, but you know what? He can't do anything until we see our own problem. It's impossible for him to help us until we come to the place where we're actually willing to face ourselves and see our own problem. And that's tough for us because our pride stands against us. Even when we're deeply in sin sometimes, we'll look at other people's sin and not our own. We'll see other people's wrong and not our own. Remember David? You know, when David sinned with Bathsheba and, and, and he murdered Uriah, and um, Nathan came to him and said to him, I have a story to tell you, King, okay? Well, there was a guy and he had one sheep, and there was another guy and he had a lot of sheep. And the guy who had a lot of sheep had friends come, and, and you know what he did? He sent and he took the one sheep of the guy who had no sheep. And you know what David says? Well, he's going to die. <clears throat> that's, that's wicked, he's, which is way beyond the law, by the way. And he's going to die for it. And then Nathan says, oh, by the way, you're the man. And David's judgment was harsh, even though he was in sin himself. Now listen, here's the thing. If we'll actually face ourselves, it's much easier for us to help somebody else. But when we won't face ourselves, we're in trouble. Because we can't see. Because we can't help anybody else. We've got to first look at ourselves. You see, it would really have, the only help that could have been for Simon here is that he would actually have seen himself. You see, we don't know why. Okay, we're not given that information. But the woman had seen herself. That's what the tears are all about. This is repentance. This is humility. She's washing his feet with her tears. It's not just the odd drop. I mean, she is just, just, just in tears. She is washing his feet with her tears. She is drying his feet with her hair. She's humiliating herself. She's repenting. She is dealing with stuff herself. 
And Simon is sitting there in control, master of the situation, and not realizing that that's where he needs to be. Now, if we confronted Simon with this, Simon would say, well, my sins are not as bad as hers. Do you do know what she does? Simon would have told you all that she... I mean, I know I'm not perfect. <clears throat> By the way, very few people will say they're perfect. Simply because it's not politically correct to say you're perfect. Right? And there's always somebody who knows you're not perfect. right? <clears throat> but Simon could so easily have looked at, uh, <clears throat> at her and, and listed her sins. But his focus was wrong and he couldn't see his own problem and his own issue. And that's where we need to go with this thing. We need to actually see ourselves. It is so easy for us just to list somebody else's sin and we don't, uh, and we don't see our own at all. We need to see our own sin. Simon needed to see himself. He needed to understand what it was that was standing between him and God. You see, Jesus said it there. <clears throat> you got a beam in your own eye. Now, you know what happens if you see the beam in your own eye? You're not so proud and arrogant about the guy with the speck in his eye anymore. You don't look at the guy with the speck in his eye and think, you know what? Man, he's a sorry state. You begin to realize that, you know what? Listen, you're not as perfect as all that yourself. And when you begin to see that, you lose your self-righteousness. And our self-righteousness is a barrier between us and God. You see, what's hindering Simon from coming to Christ is, is not that Christ won't give. It's that Simon won't look at himself. It's that Simon won't see himself. He's got a log in his eye that's blocking his vision. He can't see. Now, what is it that makes us self-righteous? There are all kinds of things that make us self-righteous. You know, <clears throat> obviously, um, becoming experts in other people's sin, that makes us self-righteous. And we can do it, can't we? Husband can become an expert in his wife's sin. A wife can become an expert in the husband's sin. You know, <clears throat> the, the, the parents become an expert in the child's sin. The child becomes an expert in the parent's sin. And everybody's looking at somebody else and nobody's looking at themselves. Nobody's dealing with themselves. And as long as you're not dealing with yourself, as long as you're not, because really, when it comes down to it, you don't have x-ray vision, right? You can't see somebody else's heart. All you can see is your own. All you can deal with is your own. Remember, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, it says that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If we would actually take and judge ourselves and give, give, give ourselves a long, cold, hard looking at them, we would not be judged. But when we don't judge ourselves, we come to the place where we're self-righteous and we can judge everybody else. So we need to look at ourselves not to look at others. So our pride can have us <clears throat> in the place where we're, we're looking at ourselves. You know, we can, we can look at other people and think they haven't given as much as we, we have. It's interesting in marriages. It's easy for a wife, now I'm going to pick on wives, and I'll pick on husbands in a minute, all right? So, so just hold back. I think it's easy sometimes for a wife to look at all she gives in the family situation. And, <clears throat> you know, humanly speaking, a wife gives a lot. You know, she's the one that does the feeding and the nappies and the, all the rest of it and goes through all those things and listen, lays her life on the line for the babies and does all that stuff and kind of takes all that responsibility. And in some senses, guys, we have to admit this, that, that women actually learn to give selflessly uh, <clears throat> quicker than men do because uh, the truth is they have to. 
they're kind of faced with it morning, noon, and night. Their, their needs have to go. Their bodies have to go in favor of uh, this little munchkin that's look, looking for food and looking for uh, <clears throat> what they need. And a wife can look at the husband and say, you know what, I've given much more than him. I'm much more developed in my area than he is. I'm much less selfish than he is. Right? But you know what happens for husbands? Husbands look at all they give in the situation. I put food on the table. I take care of all the bills. I look after the needs and so on. <clears throat> you know, I earn all this money. I never spend any of it on myself. It all goes on the family and all the rest. And the husband gets to the place where he's looking at his own needs and his own giving in the situation. And he gets self-righteous. Now, you know what's happened there? What's happened is you've got two people looking at the same situation from totally different perspectives. And listen, there's going to be an explosion. There's going to be an explosion because, you see, what happens is each is judging the other. And as long as each is judging the other, there's no connection. It's only when you get off judging the other and start judging yourself that you actually begin to make contact, that the barriers begin to come down. Because you honestly can't see somebody else, but you can see you. You can't see. See, Simon couldn't see the woman, and Simon couldn't, definitely couldn't see Jesus. But he could have seen Simon if he'd been willing to look. And he doesn't. Now, Jesus is going to help him. That's the glorious thing about being around Jesus. He tried to help. Now, you had to take the help. But he's going to help him. Now, back, back at Luke chapter 7 again, right? <clears throat> I love it. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have something to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say unto Isn't he so nice? He doesn't know that Jesus just read his mind. And he certainly doesn't know that Jesus just wrote it down for us. That we're able to look at what Simon was thinking in these moments. Right? <clears throat> I wonder did he ever get around to seeing a copy of this. I hope he was saved later on if he did, because this would be very hard to look at, right? <clears throat> anyway, so uh, his thinking is there laid out. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have something to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. Whatever you say, Master. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answering said, I suppose. He knew he was being led in the questioning, right? <clears throat> he knew that Jesus was leading him somewhere, and he wasn't sure he wanted to go, but he didn't have much option. So he says, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most, and he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. So what does Jesus do? Jesus says to him, listen, there's, there's um, <clears throat> two guys, and they're uh, <clears throat> owed money, this credit, they owe this man money. One owes him a lot, and the other owes him a little. And he frankly forgave them both. By the way, that's an interesting word construction there. It doesn't just say he f forgave them both. He frankly forgave them both. He completely obliterated the debt. There was no mention of it after that. It's, it's exactly what God does. When God deals with our sin, he frankly forgives our debt. He puts it away. It's gone. It's finished. It's done. Uh, <clears throat> it, it, it's over. It's dealt with at that point. Jesus takes and, <clears throat> and deals with it completely. And um, that's, the, that's what, 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 what the word construction there is actually talking about. He frankly forgave them both. So, <clears throat> and Simon gets it right. He says, who do you think will love him most? 
And he, he said to him, thou, uh, thou hast rightly judged. The, the, the one that was forgiven the most, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and he said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. Now, they walked in sandals all the time. The sole of the foot was covered, but the sandals didn't cover the top of the foot. So there was a constant need for washing. And the normal thing to do when somebody came to your house was you wash their feet, or at least you provided water for them to wash their feet. Right? They, were, they, were going, they were going to sit at the table. They were going to be, you know, be there as far as food is concerned. And um, you made it possible for them to wash their feet. That was normal. Well, guess what? Simon had missed it here. Now, we don't know why Simon missed it, but, you know, Simon was being a big shot here. He was condescending to bring this... Jesus guy in, although he was very questionable in everybody's eyes. He was kind of condescending, and, you know, he didn't need to go through these uh, normal things as far as honoring Jesus because Jesus had nothing for him because he was Simon the Pharisee. Right? <clears throat> Jesus really had no. You know, it was kind of, it was kind of him doing, doing Jesus a favor. It was him help, helping the, uh, the rabbi out and kind of getting a name for himself into, into the bargain, but, you know, he didn't need to honor him. Right? <clears throat> um. Thou gave me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. What a stark contrast. Simon didn't think it him worthy enough of water to wash his feet. Well, this woman came and listen, she washed his feet with her tears. She humbled himself and listen, she poured out a river of tears that washed his feet. Thou gavest me no kiss. It was normal again, you know, that when a, when a guest came, you kissed the guest. But again, this wasn't necessary as far as Simon was concerned. I mean, he was being the big guy here. <clears throat> you know, he, he was condescending to invite Jesus to dinner. Um, <clears throat> but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. Now, kissing his feet was exactly what you think kissing his feet was. It was humbling yourself in the extreme. She wasn't kissing him on the cheek. She wasn't kissing him on the head. She was kissing him on the feet. And her honor for Jesus was such that, listen, she wasn't about to uh, do any of that. So again, stark contrast here between, between the way these two people are treating him. Um, my head with oil that is not anoint. Again, common practice. Somebody came in and you, you, uh, you anointed their, their, their heads with oil. You gave them oil for that. But this woman had anointed my feet with ointment. Now, wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Now, he's saying, listen, her sins, which are many. By the way, Jesus does not miss the woman's sin. He doesn't say she loves me so much her sin doesn't matter. He knows her sin. Her sins, which are many. Guess what? Jesus knew her sins better than Simon did. Jesus knew her sins better than she did. He knew all of it. But he says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Now, her love is expressed here with her tears 
with her drying of his feet, with her kissing his feet, with her anointing his feet with oil. Her love is expressed. And the reality is what's going on here is there's deep repentance happening. This woman has lived a sinful, wicked life. She knows it. Everybody knows it. But Jesus came, and he was light. And you know what? He showed up her sinfulness. And she wanted Jesus, and she was doing away with her sin. She was finished with her sin. She wanted, there's a deep repentance going on here. Now, understand that. That's key to the story. It's not just a case, you know, she came along and she said, oh, you know what? I've been wicked, but we're all sinners. I know, I mean, all sin is is sin, so it doesn't really matter. It's all the same. Simon thinks he's really righteous, but, you know, he's not. No, her sin was wicked, and she knew it was wicked, and she's repenting deeply of it. Right? And I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Now, those are obviously wicked moral sins that he's talking about there. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And look what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Listen, whatever she was before, she wasn't anymore. Whatever she had been, she wasn't anymore. She was washing his feet with her tears, and Jesus said, She's not who you think she is, Simon. Her sin's been dealt with. It's been forgiven. It's been taken away. You got the wrong end of the stick, Simon. You think this woman who's just a sinner, a notorious sinner, is here touching my feet, but you don't understand. She's washed. She's clean. She's a different kind of a woman. She's not the same as she used to be. Now, Let me just bring our attention to this. That's all of us. That's all of us. You may have been four years old when you got saved, and you may not remember that you did anything bad in your life, but you knew you needed to get saved. And listen, that's glorious. I think it's much better to get saved for four years old and have the whole rest of your life to, uh, to live and to walk for God. But listen, you were a sinner who had earned a place in hell by the time you were four. And somehow your little heart knew it and you trusted Christ and you got saved. And he washed you of sin so black, wicked, and awful that it would have taken you straight to hell. He washed you of it. Some of us came to Christ later in life. All kinds of stuff and junk and, and, and the rest of it in our lives. Listen, he washed us. He cleansed us. Such were some of you, but now ye are washed. But do you know who he doesn't wash? Simons don't get washed. Sorry, Simon, not talking about you. But Simons don't get washed. Why? Because Simons don't need washing. 
Simons are okay. Simons are the good guys of this world in their own minds. Not only is he a Pharisee, but he's liberal enough to invite Jesus home to dinner. And you see, Simon didn't need anything and Simon didn't get anything. Because he didn't need it. Now, <clears throat> let me just draw, draw two thoughts to your head. First of all, obviously that will stand in the way of you being saved. Good guys can't get saved. Good guys just can't get saved. You say, why? Because they won't see their need to get saved. You know, <clears throat> when I was first confronted with the gospel, I thought I was a good guy. You know, and if you'd met me, you'd have, you'd have agreed. You'd have said, well, he's a good guy. The only problem is God didn't agree. God, God, wasn't, God wasn't fooled by my <clears throat> facade of self-righteousness. That didn't fool him at all. You know, God knew I was a sinner. With sin so wicked, he would have nothing to do with me, and he was going to cast me into hell. That's what God could see. But you know what? I didn't get saved till I saw that too. No good guys come to God and say, okay, I'll help you out. I'll have you over for dinner, Jesus. You know, <clears throat> you know it's interesting, and people are interested in you, and I want to hear what you got to say. I'll have you over for dinner. No good guys get saved. No, no, nobody like Simon gets saved until they see their sin. Now, I always hope when I read these stories that they did get saved later. I, <clears throat> but good guys don't get saved. Now, the second thought I want to put in your minds is this. right? <clears throat> that you never get to be a good guy in your own strength. You know, the first deception is that we're good guys before we get saved. You know, and some can, can, some can kind of look at themselves and claim that. Uh, but the second one we can all claim. Well, Jesus saved me. Now I'm a good guy. And in one sense, such were some of you. But now you are washed. Now you are clean. Right? In, in one sense, you are. But the basis of your cleansing is the issue here. Are you clean because you're a good guy? Or are you clean because God had and is having mercy on a sinner? You see, we're not clean because we're good guys. We're not clean because of anything to do with us. We're clean because of him. But we rapidly forget that. So before you got saved, listen, you may have been in whatever sin it was you were in. But then you get saved and all of a sudden you're not doing it anymore. And now you start looking down your nose on other people and thinking how righteous you are. It's amazing how righteous we can be. Self-righteous we can be. It's amazing how we can look at other people and, you know, we can look at them and we can... And, you know, uh, if, if we were honest about it, we'd be like the other Pharisee who's, uh, you know, going into the synagogue and he's saying, Oh, God, I'm so glad I'm not a sinner like this guy back here. You know, I tithe. I go to church. You know, I have my devotions every day. I tell you what, Lord, listen, I'm so glad I'm a nice guy. I'm a good guy. Now, the problem with that is that the basis for our acceptance with God becomes me and what I'm doing. 
And we lose sight of the reality that the basis of my acceptance with God is mercy. Beginning, middle, and end, it's mercy. It's only mercy. I'm never going to get to be such a good guy that I earn brownie points with God. You think about it. Anything good you've ever done since you were saved that really matters with God, whose power was it done in? That's your answer, isn't it? It's always done in God's power. Anything good that was really done was done in God's power. By the way, it was done in your power. It wasn't really good. And it doesn't really count. So when it comes to the judgment seat, and Jesus is giving out the, the rewards... And I hope you're expecting rewards. I'm looking for rewards. Right? Um, When he gives the rewards, why is he going to give them to you? When you get a crown of righteousness, whose righteousness? His righteousness that was visited on you. Now listen. I think you're getting the crown, and I understand throwing the crowns at his feet and everything else, but I think you're getting the crown. But you're getting the crown based on something he did. And everything in your life that's good is going to be something he did. So that everything good in me is Jesus. Always. Never changes. It will always be Jesus. It will always be a reason for thankfulness and rejoicing in his mercy. You see, if we could really see it, we get saved by mercy, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And we live by mercy, and we're going to heaven by mercy. It's all mercy. It's all God doing for us and nothing we're doing. So here's the thing, you see. Listen, what very often happens is we have this poor woman who's a sinner. And she sits in the Pharisee's house and she wipes his feet with her tears, Jesus' feet with her tears, and she, she, she dries it with her hair and she pours ointment on his feet. She spends a... But you know where she is the next week? She's the one sitting in the Pharisee's place. That's what we do. We switch places. Now that I'm righteous, now that I'm good, I'll judge everybody else. And we get it all back to front. We get it all upside down. See, the righteous one was Jesus. The reason she was righteous or made righteous was because she was in a right relationship with Jesus. A right relationship with Jesus is understanding it's all mercy. As soon as you step out of mercy, what are you looking for? Justice? Man, don't ever ask God for justice. Don't ever ask God for justice. What would justice be? Wouldn't be pretty. It's always mercy. I think you've heard the story. There was a 
a lady who came to Napoleon uh, <clears throat> on behalf of her son who had deserted. And the policy was, you desert, we'll shoot you. That's the way you keep armies in line. You know, that's the way they, they did all through history. You know, you either get shot by the enemy or you get shot <clears throat> when you're as a deserter, but you're going to get shot, so you might as well stay and have an honorable name and stay involved in the army, right? So this, this guy had deserted. And this lady came to <clears throat> Napoleon, and she, 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 she begged Napoleon for mercy. And Napoleon said to her, but he deserted. He doesn't deserve it. And she said, I know he doesn't deserve it. That's why I'm asking for mercy. And Napoleon actually granted her request because it was mercy. What he deserved was death. Listen, it's mercy we get from God. Always mercy. Now look, when it comes to mercy, <clears throat> if we could write the picture right and fix the picture here, what we'd do with Simon is we'd get Simon in the same place as the, the woman was. Simon would be weeping over his sin. Simon would be looking, <clears throat> would be anointing Jesus with oil and uh, washing his feet with tears. Simon would be doing all of that too. Well, he wasn't as bad as the woman in human terms, but he was bad. And what we'd have is we'd have a situation where everybody was receiving mercy from Jesus. And then we'd have a winning situation all around. And if we were going to keep them in the right place, we'd keep them always in that position where they were looking for mercy. And I suppose looking for mercy is not really the thing. It's enjoying mercy. Because you don't have to look for it. Once you're his child, it's, it's a constant flow of mercy in your life. <clears throat> it's, just, it's just real. I mean, it's there for you to take any time that you want. It's mercy. God dealing with you in mercy. And you know what? If that were the situation, Simon wouldn't be looking at this woman and saying, why is he letting her touch him? What Simon will be doing is saying, oh, wonderful, somebody else coming for mercy. Somebody else receiving mercy just like me. And what we would do is, we would go out and we would blaze the message of mercy out there. There's mercy. <clears throat> There's the possibility of being reconciled with him to all who will come, whosoever will, may come. There's mercy. And we wouldn't be looking down our noses on them. We'd be recognizing, you know what? We got mercy, and they need mercy. Some, somebody said it this way. They said, <clears throat> preaching the gospel is just one beggar telling another beggar where he got bread. That's all it is. It's telling somebody else where to go and get bread. And when we elevate ourselves above that, we're in trouble. We're in difficulties. All right, now let's bring it to a close here. Right? And again, where do you stand in the situation? Are you a Simon? Or are you a sinner? Now, I've kind of loaded the question for you, haven't I? I ask you to put your hands up who are Simons in here. You know, only Simon's putting his hand up. Nobody else is putting their hand up, right? Um, <clears throat> where do you stand in it, though? Are you good enough? Are you saying, oh, hold on a minute, I have needs. 
Are you judging others? Or are you recognizing your own need? Right now, this minute. Have you got a log in your eye? Where you look at and you see other people and you see their needs and man, it's frustrating, irritating and a bother to you because they've got such needs and listen, they're not coming to God. Or do you see your need? And do you see others who have needs too? Who are you in the picture? Are you a saved Simon? Are you a woman in need? Because at the close of this picture, Jesus said to, said to this woman, look what he said to her. <clears throat> Wherefore I say unto thee, verse 47, her sins, which were many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they sat at meat with him, and, and they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. You know what he did? He dealt with her past. He dealt with her present. Your faith has saved you. And he dealt with her future. Go in peace. And that's what Jesus does. He deals with all of it. When you come to him on the right basis. When you come to him on the basis that you're looking for mercy. And as long as we stay in the place of looking for mercy, we're doing great. We're in the right place. We will know blessing. But as soon as you start judging other people around you, as soon as you're judging your husband or judging your wife, as soon as you're sitting in judgment on them, you know what? Listen, you're not in the place of mercy anymore. You're in the place of judgment. You've got a log in your eye, and you need the log taken out. The only one you can really see tonight is you. The only one you can actually take the log out of is you. So let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to let us see, and then the piano will play. And you want to deal with something just between you and God, you come and you deal with him. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this night, for this word, and Lord, we thank you for this picture and this dinner that we're allowed to see in your word. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, we do ask you, Lord, that you would reveal ourselves to us, Lord, that it would not be a case of us looking at everybody else, that it would not be a case of us judging others, but that, Lord, we would judge ourselves. That we would walk away from self-righteousness and into mercy. And that we would walk in a good place and live in a good place with you. And Lord, we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Let's all stand quiet at our feet and as the piano plays and God has dealt with you. You come and you do business with him. You let God have his way in your heart and in your life. Let's all stand.